Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, beautiful people. I have a wonderful guest with us on the Ramble today. Her name is Alex Sharp, and she will hopefully, if you ever have the chance to be photographed by her, help you find your own inner beauty and essence. I know she helped me with mine, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, You know, just to give you a quick soundbite on just how stunning her photography is, Alex's work has appeared in both Vanity Fair and Vogue. How about that? Over the last short little while, she's gone or transformed her art from just lifestyle photography to the empowerment of women, which we're going to get into. So without further ado, Alex Sharp. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for, for mustering up the courage to come on the ramble. <laughs> a lot of mustering happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, but then I realized when we were just chatting before the podcast started that this is your first podcast. First podcast. Yeah, I was saying I, I talk a lot. I talk to mm. people all the time, but it's never been recorded. So this is definitely something that's a challenge for me. And, you know, on my Instagram bio, I talk about being out of the box as a photographer mm. and even just taking these challenges on that are out of the box. And this is definitely out of the box for me, but I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, there's no I try to not have a box in the podcast. Exactly. So I know we'll see where we where we go. Uh, but again, that's really that's really cool to that you would that you would consider breaking that and ju- coming on this podcast because well, I've been fascinated by you and your work, and I don't choose that word lightly. Genuinely, sincerely fascinated by you and your work for a while. And if we go back, I was familiar with your work just via Instagram, and then somehow, I guess it was via my wife's Instagram. Who, who was a follower and fan of you. But did you two know each other or no? It's actually funny. We go way, way, way back, like way back to like the catechism days of our youth. Like I kind of knew her, not, we weren't friends, but we knew of each other. And then through dance, she was in dance and I was in dance. So it's quite funny because we kind of, you know, passed each other randomly without having a relationship for most of our lives but then we didn't actually connect and develop a relationship until a few years ago um and the photography is kind of what really sparked it up and then it's just been no looking back since yeah she's an amazing woman did you go to school with her when you say catechism uh like like through the like catholic through the church yeah not through because she went to a catholic school did you go to a catholic school i did not go to a catholic school oh you went to mei right no, I went to Ooh. Yale, actually. Oh, you went to Yale. Well, that's definitely not a Catholic school. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a Mennonite school or a Catholic school. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was where, when we were, when we were growing up, I, I was at the, uh, the school across town and uh, not, not that we were rivals, but like the real parties were at your school, not at mine. <laughs> true. Yeah. I mean, it's all truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, 
continue on with that just to to set the stage a little bit. So I saw this your this stunning palette of um, beautiful photos that you've taken online through Jana's Instagram, and she was always talking about you. So then I follow you, and next thing you know, you're photo- photographing her nude on a side of a river at 4 a.m. <laughs> With a snake, no less. There's no less. Got to get unique too. Right. Um, and then, and then next thing I know you're over and you're hanging out and the dogs are playing in the, in, on the farm, but you and I have never really sat down and had a conversation. No. So no. this is, this is that first. And I thought first, now that we're on the theme of it, maybe a good place to continue. I do want to know about your Polish roots and, and coming to Canada, especially in the context of world events and maybe how that you feel about that. But before we get there, the first photo, I've always, I'm always curious, especially in, the, in this day and age with iPhones and everybody being a photographer. Oh, yes. Yeah. But when you... Like, what was the first photo or photography experience that you had that 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 led you to led you down this path of, of it becoming your your profession and your passion and really a gift that you give to the whole world? Like, where does where does that start? Where's the first real click, if there is one? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny because I got gifted a camera by my parents. I want to say I was like. 12 years old, 13 years old, something like that. And I didn't know what to do with it whatsoever. Um, But I really fell in love with capturing little moments in that time. And I was an avid traveler. My family has always traveled and travel is completely my love language. So I would just bring it, bring my camera along. And I, at that point, didn't know how to use it properly. It was always on auto, but I kind of traveled the world with it and took photos along the way. And it really made me realize how incredible capturing these little snippets in time are and not necessarily just of people, but of places and of landscape. And I just really fell in love with it then as a hobby, never, ever considered it as a business or me doing it as a business in the future. Um, I was actually a dental assistant for 10 years. And what? then, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Like the most random opposite thing. Using with Claiborne or Veneer? In, or in, no? Fort, in Fort Langley, actually. Oh, in Fort Langley. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, when I graduated high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my mom was always the one pushing me to go to university. Like you have to do something. Because back in Poland, it's, it's very different than here in terms of postgraduate education, like after high school, uh, everybody goes to university, everybody gets a four-year degree, Uh, your university costs are covered. Totally? Like completely or? 100%. And I still have. Pardon me? Any choice? Any choice. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's great. And over there, uh, parents very much encourage their kids to live at home while they're going to university. They want to take care of them while they're learning because education is just huge. It's very, very important. If you were to tell someone that you weren't going to university, at least back when I was graduating in, in Poland, it, it would be a huge problem. So I come from a family of physicians back in Poland, my grandmother, my aunt, my cousin, they're all surgeons. And I was kind of expected to do something big in the medical world. 
go for a degree and it just wasn't something I was passionate about. I never, ever had this pull or drive to becoming a doctor or anything like that. So I was very undecided. I wanted to travel. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a no-go in my family. I mean, we very much encouraged traveling as a family and it was very valued, but not at the expense of education. So I didn't know what I wanted to to do in university. My mom suggested, you know, just some, just go and do something. So she said, how about being a dental hygienist? And I said, <laughs> Well, I said, I, I mean, I have no passion towards that. I don't want to go for a multiple year degree if I'm, I'm not passionate about it. So I'm like, heck, why don't I do dental assisting? It's a 10 month certification program. And then at least I have something. Uh, so I, I went and did right. it, got hired by an office, ended up staying there for 10 years, not because I love the job, but because I love the people. But I was always kind of doing photography on the side. And then eventually... I started posting my photos just with my family on Instagram and people started asking me if I could take photos for them. So I started taking photos and then it got to a point where it was happening so often that I thought like, why am I not, you know, charging for this or doing it as a business? (laughs) Because I did find a lot of joy in it in creating. So then I ended up starting my business and very casually I had young kids at home. I, I just, I didn't really have the time to go full force into it, but I'm also not the kind of person that can half-ass anything. So it was really hard because I kind of did go full force and again, juggling motherhood, relationships, business. I mean, you know, you know how it is. It was really tricky and it put a lot of stress on me in some ways and a lot of frustration that I couldn't achieve exactly what I wanted to achieve because initially I wanted to do a lot of travel photography and photograph people as I was traveling. But again, with young kids at home, it's not feasible all the time. So yeah, I just I started the business, it blew up way faster than I could have imagined. Um, I ended up booking so much that I had full time work, I ended up quitting my job at uh, the dental office. And that's just kind of where it started for me. And I can't really pinpoint it to a specific photograph or anything like that. I think it was just falling in love with creation and falling in love with capturing little moments and then really going for it and learning to push away from what society expected of me, of what my family expected of me, and just really chasing what I wanted to do and just not really caring about anything else in terms of my future. And it all ended up working out. And that's kind of a similar idea that I have going forward in my business. I'm really shaping it and changing it how I want it to look like, not what everybody else thinks I should be doing, even when it comes to, you know, social media or business plans. I'm a very unconventional photographer in a lot of ways. One being that I'm a, I'm completely self-taught. I never took any photography courses. I literally learned on YouTube. I do things very differently than most photographers. I use a different editing system. I, I call my photos in a way that most photographers would cringe. Uh, I have photographer friends that are like, why, why do you do it like this? You're making your life so much harder. But I'm like, for me, I've tried your way and I can't do it. I, I have my ways. I'm set in my ways. And at so first, it was can hard. you elaborate on that? That um, so did you say cull like as in oh, get, ri- yeah. get rid of the? Yes. Yeah. So for example, I call all my images. Like when I pick my images out of my whatever images that I took during a session, when I pick the ones I want to use and edit, um, most photographers use programs like Photo Mechanic that are specifically made for calling. I call in camera. <laughs> I. Oh really? Yeah. 
So I will call hundreds and hundreds of photos. On Just in phone. that little screen. Yeah. And what you risk, why a photographer wouldn't do that is because you might not see the full, yeah. I don't know what you would call it, the, the full details or details of the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where did that come from? How did you? I've always called in camera, even mm-hmm. before I had a business. So when I started my business, I, that was just what I was used to. And I got real fast at it. Mm-hmm. And then I tried using photo mechanic. I tried using these programs that would help me. And honestly, I hated them. They, they slowed me down. Um, I wasn't as efficient and I'm pretty detail oriented. So I didn't miss details in that little phone or that little camera screen. I just, it worked for me. And so many people are like, oh, you're crazy. I mean, even down to things like the editing software that most people use, most photographers use, they use Lightroom Classic. That's kind of what they started on. I started on Lightroom CC, which is like a mobile kind of version of it that has cloud capabilities. I started on that because initially I didn't think I was going to be running a big business in terms of photography. So then there came a point in time where I'm like, oh, you know, I should probably try swapping over to Lightroom Classic and be like all the other photographers, the professional photographers that I really look up to and admire. I tried, but my brain felt like it was going to explode. I felt like it was just so much more complex and complicated that I needed. And in fact, the program that I currently was using gave me all the capabilities, editing capabilities that I needed to create the kind of photographs and edits that I wanted to create. So why would I switch? And just kind of all around letting go of these expectations of what a professional photographer should be doing and how they should be doing it. And just kind of, you know, doing it how I want to do it Mm -hmm. because it works for me. I've never been held back by not doing things, you know, in a way that, you know, I, people think I should be doing them. Like I just, it's, yeah. There's such an, there's such an interesting, I don't want to use the word rebellious. Maybe, maybe that is the word. I don't know, but this idea that like the, the fear that a photographer would have about editing on camera or sorry, culling on camera would be missing a great shot, right? Would be missing some, would be getting rid of something that was potentially great. And because it's done on camera, it's gone forever, right? It's not backed up. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's this kind of this fearlessness and trust that even though, like you said, you are catching the details, that you're not really looking back. You're, you're, all, you're almost just, I'm not worried about, there's no fear that you're not going to land where you want to land. Right. And I think that's really kind of bold. And, it, and, and, it, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to just take a step back and maybe because it seems to me that this is a theme for you going against the grain of family, uh, uh, family, not, not your family, the, the value of an education has to be this way. Yeah. And I, I think it's really sad that troublesome, even uh, sad and troublesome that we, we live in a place uh, in a society. Yes. We have the, the, the benefit of great education. No, no problem. And question there, but this idea of like the just in case education, you use those words, just in case, just in case, good job. And this is the artist's dilemma, the young artist's dilemma, where they are like yourself. You've, you've found this passion and calling, but you're, there's a hand on your back, so to speak, that's pushing you in another way to, to safe. And maybe you can, you can kind of talk to your mindset 
and your process as to how for both for you, but also for those listening who may be stuck in this moment, this moment of, you know, I have to choose and I'm leaning towards the choice I don't want to make the safe choice. Right. And how you found the courage and the words, you know, the words being to, to, to tell people straight up, I'm, you know, I'm going down this other road to pursue your art. Right. It's, Honestly, it's just something that has been such a theme as I got into my 30s, especially that I've been not wanting to play it safe and really wrestling with this idea of like mortality. And as we're aging, I've noticed people around me that have lost people or just health issues that start coming up when you hit a certain age and realizing that life is so so incredibly short. It, it truly is. It just flies by. And it's too short to do things that you don't truly want to be doing. And sometimes we have to do hard things because they're stepping stones to get to the places that we want to go to. But oftentimes I feel like there's so much pressure, like you were saying, like from family and from outside external sources that are trying to push us to do things that they think we should be doing because they think it's going to be the most beneficial long-term solution for us. But nobody knows you like you know yourself. Nobody knows your own heart and your own soul like you know it. And only you can kind of tell what will bring you joy and what will create a happy life for you. And of course, there's people around you, your community that can offer advice and that can kind of, I don't know, Um, help you see things and help you realize about yourself. But truly, if you know something in your heart that is the the right thing for you, you need to chase it. I'm a huge proponent of listening to your gut. I have led that way for a very long time. And it's very, like, no, honestly, I don't even want to say very rarely steered me wrong. I don't think it's ever steered me wrong. The only thing that steered me wrong is questioning my gut, getting in my head about it, and my mind screwing it up. So I, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that is a common theme in my life to go against the grain and push back. Obviously, when I was in my younger years, it was more difficult because I was more pressured by, oh, what will people think? What will people think of me? Will I become the black sheep? Whatever. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I realized it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Even if you do get dubbed that, even, you know, I've I've been blasted this little while by certain people, small percentage of being very open about my views on COVID and on open conversation and on all of these things. And it really doesn't matter because for every one person that thinks you're doing the wrong thing or doesn't agree with you, there's a plethora of other people that do. And there might be one person that you really help realize something about themselves that changes the course of their life. And that to me is so much more worth it than having a few people angry because they don't agree or they want to start a fight or, or they don't know how to have an open intellectual conversation uh, that includes having, you know, empathy and putting yourself in a different perspective, like in someone else's shoes. And that's kind of what I realized in general is like, for me, it's most important that I get to a place in my life where I'm healthy, mentally healthy, where I'm happy, I can live in a way that's full of gratitude and that 
I can continue this journey that like really in the grand scheme of things, isn't that long in a way that, yeah, like I said, being healthy. And if I'm healthy, I can be of service to other people, including my children, including my friendships, my, all my relationships. And I don't think that you can truly get to a place where you're healthy all around if you are living for other people. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I I popped up when you were speaking that I don't know if it was your quote, you might've posted it, but it was something to the effect of when the pandemic hit, the world turned to artists to be entertained, to pass the time. Obviously we did before, but in almost in an even greater way, we, you know, we tuned into Netflix. We, we engaged more on social media and all these different things. And, and it's almost in the same breath. We don't, provide enough opportunity for artists to create. And when they push boundaries in any way, you know, we fucking comedians these days, you know, they're under siege, but could you imagine a world without comedians? Could you imagine a world where, you know, I I can't imagine that some people aren't offended by some of the more flesh laden photos that you've taken. Right. Yes. Yes. But you know, the world over artists all over without pushing those boundaries and being rebellious, you don't, you don't create the stuff that connects in the same way. And I guess it's not really, you know, question, but it's just, I guess it's a statement of like appreciation for your willingness to, to go there. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think that, I think that these days, I mean, not just these days, but for all of time, people have had, they have a lot of triggers in their life. And I feel like these days with mental health, there's more awareness coming to what your triggers are. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times people allow their triggers to manifest as being offended by things. So when they see art in different forms and somehow it triggers them maybe from something in their childhood or something they were taught or, you know, A, B or C, it's, it's a trigger and they might not necessarily know how to put it out there in a healthy, constructive way. And it's just like this instant rage or this instant offense where they have to vocally speak out about it. And the problem is, is that as artists, we're all so different. And as humans, we're all so different and things inspire each of us differently. So there's no way you can possibly, there's no way you can possibly love everything that everyone puts out there. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. But you kind of have to view the world through this lens of, of allowing people to express themselves without you know, taking offense because you're never going to be happy with what everybody puts out there. It's just not going to happen. Can I ask you a question? Yes, absolutely. In, in that vein, you mentioned that you have a religious background upbringing. Uh, I, I don't know if I knew that or not. I, maybe, maybe Jana had mentioned it. Is there, is there something in there? I, I, where, like, where do you stand with your spiritual journey through faith or, or whatever else it may be today. And, and was there a breaking away from that in how you, you know, show your art today? Cause I, I can't imagine that. I, 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 I maybe the two aren't simpatico or, or maybe they are, I don't know, you know, where, and where do you find yourself creating in maybe these pulling opposites or again, or not. Yeah. Well, I was actually, uh, I was brought up in like a Catholic home in Poland. 
you know, now it's shifting a little bit, but it used to be that everyone was Roman Catholic. That was kind of the base religion. And so I was kind of just brought into that. And in my house, it wasn't ever anything super serious or uh, I don't know. Like we kind of went to church on Sundays. My mom put me in catechism because it was a thing you did. Mm. It wasn't necessarily that there was anything more than that. There was no foundation placed at home. It was just, we went on Sundays and that was that. And I think it's probably because my mom was always raised in a home that did that. And there was no conversation past that in terms of spirituality or like relationship or anything like that. So then it got to a point where I, I really disliked going. I didn't find any connection. I didn't get anything out of it. When I was about 18, I had a friend that uh, took me to a non-denominational church. And I, I felt like I definitely connected in that realm more than in the Catholic church. And at that point I was young, I had a group of friends that was very much tied into the church. So I kind of went along with that and I learned from that kind of perspective. And that happened for a lot of years. But then when I got older, I had kids, I, I kind of started pulling away from that because I realized to like, was I following this because I truly believed in it or was I following it because the people around me were so for this? And I think it was a little bit of both because I've always felt this immense connection to God. I always have. And whether you want to call it God, the universe, some kind of greater pull, I dream a lot. I feel like I, I feel like God comes to me in dreams and mm. there's been some very unmistakable I don't know, experiences in my life where for me personally, it's undeniable that there is some sort of greater power that's based out of love. Um, I feel it all the time. And so as I got older and I started pushing back a little bit, it was definitely not met well <laughs> because when you're in the church to kind of ask big questions is not always received in the best way. I feel like it's shifting a little bit more now, which is- I think so too. Yeah. So and, and I think as the deconstruction of, you know, Christian faith became more of a normal thing, there was a lot more of these questions being asked and it became more okay to kind of, I don't know, not do everything traditionally. And for some people, you know what, traditional religion works great and that's totally okay. For me, it didn't. For me, I needed more. And I got to this point where I'm like, you know what, like, I don't know what the truth is with all of this. And I probably won't ever know until the day I die. And I got to this point where I was very much okay with that. Mm -hmm. For me, I want to live my life in a way that I connect spiritually to the earth. Um, that's kind of the main area where I connect. Um, I am a very spiritual person and I just wanted to keep learning and keep an open mind to learning about all this and taking it in and never getting to this point where I have to know everything and I have to be able to talk to people about everything I know. And that was a huge, huge thing when we had kids because Josh and I are a little bit different in our spiritual journeys and that was a struggle too. And so to be able to parent and speak to our kids about, you know, spirituality in general, when we didn't necessarily line up on everything was tough. It was tough to navigate, but we got to this point where we have a respect for what we believe. And in my head, it was like, the kids are so much better off in my opinion, because they can have two parents that believe different things 
in terms of faith and spirituality, and they can communicate about it. And we kind of decided that we would both talk to the kids about where we stand in our own way and say, well, you know, like dad views this a certain way. You can talk to him about how he sees it. And you can talk to me about how I see it. I don't have all the answers. They ask big questions sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is something that you can continue pushing into on your journey and you will experience things and you will learn things and you will encounter things in life that might push you in different ways. And that's okay. The biggest thing for us is we wanted our kids to get to this point where their foundation was that they had the ability to follow kind of their heart and follow their own spiritual journey, whatever that looked like, instead of putting them in a box where no, like you have to believe what mom believes, or you have to believe what dad believes. This is what our family believes. And you have to follow along with that because in my past that didn't work. It wasn't helpful. And again, for some people that's great. Um, But for me personally, I think God is so much bigger than all of that. And I want my kids to discover God and fall in love with him in a very genuine, authentic way. And when I say him, her, it, the universe, nature, like honestly, all encompassing, right? I don't, I don't want to put anything in this life in a box, including God, you know? I think that's great. I think that that not, not just great. I think it, for what I know this far in my life as a parent uh, and as a human, that's, it's probably the, it's a very good path because I, I kind of live by, as far as a parent, it's, it's a poem and I, I can't, a Khalil Gilbran, I think he's a Sufi poet. And he says the opening line of the, the, the poem is your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. And, you know, it goes on to effectively say you're, you know, you're a guide and, and, but you're not there to impose your views on them. You're there to help them find theirs and, and give them the the tools and the critical faculties and and the courage to explore what it is for them. Uh, You know, how they are going to show up and how they are going to see the world and, you know, interact with it. And the willingness to say it changes. And when you have a household that, finds an ability to cross uh, or not to cross, but to parent against differences or with differences. This is what the world needs because when we, when we come out and of our, of our, our childhood and our adolescence into our adult years, and we say, well, there's only one way, the way that we learned. Well, that's exactly how the fuck we are, where we are today. Is, is a heel digging in your heels to your ideological echo chambered way of life Absolutely. and, and say that that's it, you know, it's so tribal and it's, and it's just not, it doesn't prepare you for the reality that, you know, we, we face and, and yeah, it gets confusing out there. And so sometimes maybe now more than ever, although that could just be my, you know, my age talking, but where some level of foundation or belief may help be the lens in which you explore, but, but that's all that should be is the lens of which you explore, not to say, this is it. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I think that's a gift. What about creatively? Are you, are you and Josh quite different or are you, is he also a, a, a creative that just goes after it like you do? Yeah, no, Josh and I, 
it's funny. We could not be more polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we literally had a therapist say to us one time that we are like like oil and water. Like it's just completely polar opposite in almost every way, shape, and form. But the funny thing about us is I think that's it's actually a strength for our marriage because when we first met, I was I was quite abrasive. I was quite sarcastic and he was very, just very quiet. And just, he's one of the kindest people that you'll ever meet. He's honestly such a genuine kind human. Um, And so when we first met, I, I was a little bit harsh and like my family, the way we operated, it was like almost like what you picture, like an Italian dinner. It was loud. It was, we would debate and he got very thrown off because his family's quite quiet. They discuss and everything like that, but very, very different scenario. And so as time went on, I find, I found that we kind of balanced each other out. Like I almost softened a little bit and he taught me how to kind of put strength and softness together. And for him, I almost encouraged him and gave him a little bit of extra confidence to be more bold um, and to speak out against certain things and not let certain things slide. And it kind of has been a beautiful journey. And like marriage is not easy by Mm -hmm. any, any, uh, yeah, any, any way possible. It's, it's not easy, but it becomes it becomes such a beautiful journey when you really push into each other's differences and into learning how to communicate properly and into seeing each other in like your raw state. And I also find within marriage, like you evolve so many times within any relationship. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people don't talk about is when you're married for a certain amount of time, you hit these kind of crossroads in your marriage where you evolve and you almost turn into a different person. And you have to decide with your partner, like, are you willing to accept me in this new form? And can we continue growing alongside each other or not? And I feel like that's where a lot of relationships fall apart because they're not okay with the huge change. Cause I'm a completely different person now than when we got married. And I think in a lot of ways, Josh is too. Yeah, we are as well. Jan and I are as well. And, and that's, it's a choice, right? It's, you have to choose. It's not just, not, you don't just choose when you get down on a knee or when you say your vows, it's a, it's a daily choice. It's a daily choice when those differences show up and when those, those pains and hurts that we have in our life rear their heads in, in bad action uh, or, or not great action. You know, I don't like labeling things as bad or good, but, but how, but how do you, or how did you, and do you find each other in those moments where you make the choice um, again and you, you know, you mentioned you, you touched that there was that, that there was therapy. Uh, the answer is therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and that's a choice. People think people think therapy is only when there's something wrong. I, I think therapy is like a healthy if you can afford it, it should be no different than any routine or habit that you have with with your partner is just somebody there to just help check in, you know. Because I know it was just like, it's so hard. And then somebody's like, well, why, why do it then? <laughs> because it's so worth it. Yeah. It when is. you find that, right. Trudging and- through those hard things, those hard conversations, the only way you will come out on the other end better is if you actually, you know, challenge yourself to go through it. There's, yeah, there's really no other way. <laughs> and there's but the, the one of the choices that I've noticed is comes, comes from our past or comes from, you know, my parents are divorced. 
And I don't know if this is like actually for me, but definitely for my brother, one of my brothers, it's like, it was so painful for him that, and still is to this day, uh, that the thought of like, there was no pain that he would be willing, not willing to go through in a relationship to not get divorced. That doesn't mean like you can take abuse, but it just means, you know, he's so committed to that. And whereas other people, maybe the relationship is totally dysfunctional or they didn't see the need to do the really, 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 really hard work. And then what so often ends up happening is they separate and then they end up having to do that work with somebody else anyway. (laughs) Right. Where, where did this spirit of commitment to the process of, of cultivating a, a good, healthy relationship come from for you? Do you know, does it register? Yeah. I honestly think it was a choice. Like we have overcome so many things in our relationship and we have learned so much about each other in our relationship. And one thing we really learned is that our communication styles are completely different. So when we would get into arguments, it would just escalate so quickly and we didn't know how to bring anything back down. So therapy really showed us and taught us how we communicate. And sometimes we actually just needed a therapist where we got into an argument and we couldn't even come out of it because we couldn't communicate effectively enough to bring it down. So we almost needed like that third party to teach us a little bit how we can do it. So as time went on and we learned more and we are by no means perfect. There's still times where we just want to rip each other's heads off. But I think that, I think that the marriages that are, or the relationships that are really the strongest are the ones where you're willing to make that choice and continue learning about each other instead of just like giving up. And obviously there's different scenarios where that's not doable, where there's abuse or things like that. But But if you really commit to loving the person in the stage that they're in and to continue learning about them and about all of them, how they communicate, what triggers them, where do those triggers come from and how can you help them become kind of the best version of themselves outside of those things? I think those are the best marriages. They're not perfect. They're not ones that where you never fight or argue or, you know, have conflict or butt heads. Like I think the best ones are the ones where that happens and you're committed to getting past it in a healthy way and not bringing that person down. And just, I mean, don't get me wrong. We've called each other names, etc. It happens. You get angry. People get angry. It's inevitable. We're human. And that's going to happen in any relationship, whether it's your partner or whether it's a friend, but you just have to be willing to see the best parts of that person. And also realize that, the way you're kind of feeling about them, they're likely feeling about you back. Like you also have triggers. You also have downfalls that you unload on your partner all the time. So it's not like it's this one way street where, you know, you're getting all the abuse and all the whatever. It, it happens both ways often when there's conflict and when there's arguments. So the other person also has to want to commit as much as you do. And I think that's where the disconnect comes is sometimes you just get to this crossroad where one person wants it and the other doesn't, or you both don't want it, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really tricky. So, I mean, we've been married for almost 12 years now, which is crazy. <laughs> it, yeah. We're about the same. Yeah. We're about the same. I say, about, I, I say about the same embarrassingly because I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> we lose track of time. We lose track of time. And like, <laughs> we're just totally different people at this point in our lives. But like, I also feel 
like our relationship has never been stronger, which is crazy because we've gone through so much. And there's been times in our marriage where we almost called it quits multiple times. And we just decided that, you know, it was worth it to push through the shit and push through the difficulty. And there were tears and there were sometimes days of not talking. And it was really hard sometimes, but we committed and we did the work. We spent the money. Um, We had a good community of people that were for us um, as a couple. And we learned a lot. And now here we are. And it's going to be a continual learning journey. And we're going to evolve again as people. Mm-hmm. We know it's coming. So it's like, we're going to get to that next crossroad where we have to decide, like, is this still what we want? It, do I love you enough to continue this? And for us, that's just a decision we made. So, And, and a decision that we now have to make as a human race. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the therapy that we need and, uh, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I thought it just was a very interesting transition to, you know, where we are in the world today. And the reason I bring this up is, well, I, I definitely see that, you know, I think everybody sees that there's, there's, there's quite a divide and there's quite an unwillingness and there has been to have conversations. And, and at this moment in time, it seems like, you know, with where we are today in the pandemic, for those who were the, the harshest to each other, some have just forgotten and just, oh, I guess the pandemic's mostly over. So no lesson learned, onward we go. And where I'm going with this is you chose to speak up, which is was hard to do. And you have a platform, you have followers, like you said, you have fans um, that, that are engaged, but there is no question that you know choosing to speak up comes with its fair share of hate. And if we take aside, if we, sorry, if we put aside the, the idea that, okay, you're not worried about the business side. You're not worried about losing business because you know that people who want to work with you will work with you and you trust that that will work out. Why did you choose to, to use your platform to share your thoughts on things, knowing that it was going to have some headwinds? <laughs> put it lightly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't even care if you talk about what it was that you wanted to say. You did say we can go there, but I'm more interested in why you said it. Right. Well, I'm an Enneagram eight and I'm a hugely like justice oriented. So for me, biting my tongue is not something that comes naturally. <laughs> and as, as I've aged, I've learned there's certain situations where I do bite my tongue because it's just, it's not going to cause change or do anything good for anybody really. Um, because I am an opinionated person and I've always known that about <laughs> myself, but in this scenario, I really felt that there were people that felt the same way as me and also had a lot of fear and about speaking up. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a voice for all of those people. And I'm going to get flack. I'm going to get pushback because I know I have people following me that very much disagree with my point of view. But in my head, I was like, the way I'm going to approach this is from a place of love. I'm not going to tell anybody that you're wrong. I'm not going to tell anybody that you're foolish for what you believe or the choices that you're making. I'm going to come at it from a way where I'm going to share my heart and how I feel about it in a loving way that opens up the conversation, period. 
just opens up the conversation where we can chat, we can throw ideas back and forth. And of course, none of us are experts, but I think it's really important because there was so much emotion pent up in people and so much fear and sadness all wrapped into one. And people needed an, needed an outlet where they can lean on somebody. And sometimes in their families, they couldn't even speak to their family because they would get completely shit on. And it was kind of, I kind of went into it with ideal that it would be an open inbox for anybody that wanted to share how they were feeling and a place for them to vent and let things go that were kind of feeling heavy in their lives um, with zero judgment, wherever you stood. Um, that was the most important part to me. And I made that very clear that there would never be any judgment about, you know, where you're at, how you're feeling. And when I first started talking about it, I was flooded with messages of people saying, thank you for saying this. This is exactly how I felt, but I felt like I couldn't speak up because I would get attacked. And it was really heartbreaking. And for me, that justice side, it really fired me up and got me really going. And in that moment I committed, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to keep speaking out about it because, because there's people that need it. And again, if I help one person by speaking out, it's worth it for me. And it turned into this thing where I would get a couple messages here or there of people that, you know, had a very specific viewpoint and told me that I was wrong and said it in a hateful way. And when I get messages like that, honestly, if it's done in a hateful way, I, I just don't have time for it. I don't have res respect for people that decide to have conversation in that way. I had messages that were very respectful, um, that disagreed. And I welcome them because you know what? Like, I'm never a closed book. I'm not ever going to hang myself in a certain, you know, position or viewpoint because I'm always learning. Um, so I very much welcome those messages because I'm like, oh, maybe I'll learn something that I didn't know before or even open up a thought process that I hadn't kind of reached for yet. And so those were great. And those people continued following me and, you know, they, they learned that they had the ability to skip ahead if they didn't want to listen to it. I had people that I very much thought were friends and respected even within the photography community that decided to unfollow me. And you know what, that's their right and their choice. But I was honestly quite disappointed because to me, to me, it's just like, if you don't have the willingness to have an open conversation or surround yourself with people that have differing views, like, how are you going to grow? How are you going to move forward? If you surround yourself, like you kind of said, this echo chamber of only people that think exactly in the same way that you do and have the same ideals, how are you ever going to grow or learn or open up your bubble or continue practicing empathy and, you know, shifts of perspective, you can't because you're just surrounded by the same thing. So, so yeah, initially it was kind of this thing, like I said, an open inbox for people to share their thoughts and feelings that were really struggling. We're feeling really down. We're being really put down by family or had ties that were cut within family and friends. And we're really mm -hmm. feeling it. Their support system kind of crumbled overnight over something that really, especially looking back at it now, what was the point? Yeah. You know, yeah, that was the hardest part. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm so disappointed because if there's a finger to point, it is a hundred percent at our government. Mm -hmm. It is a hundred percent at the leaders of our nation and many nations in the Western world yep. who did not in any way, shape or form, try and bridge the divide. And, and in fact, instead stuck a, stuck a hand in it and widened it intentionally. 
And that's, that was the part that saddened me the most about all of it was that I grew up with a lot of faith in my leaders, a lot of pride in the, the, the values of democracy that I thought we had in Canada. And, and to an extent, you know, in the States, but even in the States, it was a dogfight of one side versus the other, probably more so than in Canada. And that anybody should have felt, you know, th- that it fell on people like yourself who, who made a brave choice to speak up for those who just were feeling so alone. And it is shockingly, it is shocking just how many people feel, you know, felt alone and isolated and that, they're, that they were being gaslit to all hell, high hell. And, and yet they just continued, it just continued and it just continued. And even when things started to, to lessen, it still continued. And when this, you know, when these, these truckers who, you know, much like yourself decided to, to try and be a voice of, of a view that they had, mm-hmm. I, I was sickened mm-hmm. to my, my deepest core, regardless of what you believe about their view, that they were treated the way that they were treated in Canada. And this comes down to this, this moment in time where we're seeing that there are a lot of people that at least right now are very much okay with living a certain, living under a certain um, style of government. Right. Right? And I'm not, I'm not condemning that. Mm-hmm. The problem is that, that I'm seeing is there's not an acknowledgement that that is what they're doing, that that is... Like you, you're for this moment in time, unless things that happen during our emergency act here in Canada are undone, mm-hmm. you're not going back to a different, you know, the way it used to be in this country. And, you know, the ability to debate things, the ability to share, most importantly, you know, we have a state owned media mm-hmm. and that is reaching into our school systems that is reaching into our unions and there is, and only people like, you know, yourself are speaking up. And this, again, the scary part is not that somebody has that view. It's that we're not, it's that it's, there's a blindness, like what's going on. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I would say, I would say even more so than a blindness, but a willingness to participate because what really blew my mind where I realized at one point that where, where I did take a bit of a step back is I had this realization that like, (laughs) this is a losing battle in some ways because the people that I'm trying to speak to or reach, not everybody, but I've realized so many people are okay with all of it. Yeah. They're, they're okay with even things like a social credit system. They would welcome it with open arms because they like rules. They like the stability. They like the comfort of what they perceive that brings. Until, which, until, until they don't like the rule. 100%. But will it get to that point for that, for those specific people with that specific mindset? You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I said to, I said to someone, well, what if the truckers convoy was campaigning for something you believed in? Then how would you feel about them? It would be great. That's the the whole point is that you're just agreeing 
you don't agree with what they're saying. So you're condemning the action. Yeah. 100%. And at some point in your future history, <laughs> you're not going to like something that happens. And then what? Right. And I, I, people, people always took this argument that like, well, there are sacrifices that you make as part of being a, in a democracy. Absolutely. There are. And one of those sacrifices is those who are willing to go against the grain and call out what they don't see as right. That is how we have a thriving democracy. Otherwise you don't have a democracy. If it's just one voice. 100%. But, but I cut you off. I apologize. No, no, that's okay. But I think that's what people don't realize. They don't realize that that is exactly what is important to have a democracy. And if like, what is the fight to convince everybody to have the same train of thought? What a horrible society that would be if everybody got to that point. We need those people that will have a different viewpoint. Even if we don't agree with it, we need those people. Yeah. Um, and that's why protests, peaceful protests of every kind should be allowed. You can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose what you think should be allowed as free speech and what shouldn't. You can't. It just has to be open. And then you can do what you want with it. But I mean, yeah, like you said, with the truckers, like if it was something else, like the BLM riots, that was okay because of what you know, it stood for, but there was immense amounts of violence and government corruption within that. And people didn't really talk too much about it. But with the truckers, it was completely, it was like, there was one incident that, I mean, in my opinion, was staged, but you know, whatever, we can leave it at that. And it was an outrage or even the source of it, or there was so many issues. And I honestly, I don't care what you believe about the truckers or the freedom convoy or what side you're at, but you know, Canada was a laughing stock during that whole thing from, I, I mean, my family in Poland and other people we know in Europe, like Canada was a laughing stock and not because of what the truckers were doing, but because of how society was reacting to it and how they were fighting like cats and dogs amongst each other over the most, trivial things and to some people they wouldn't say it was trivial but it was quite astonishing to see what the trucker convoy blew up and mm -hmm. what it created and really the worst parts of people came out and it was to me it was astounding because again you might stand in a different place on you know what you think the trucker convoy is for or was for but the goal of it was for unity Mm -hmm. All of it was ultimately for unity. And yet it created great change in some ways, but it also created this massive divide that was already there and pushed it further. And you really saw, you really saw people crumble and be at their worst, unfortunately. I know. I mean, you, you look at, you, you know, just a few things. And, and again, we don't have to stay here long. You look at Trudeau's unwillingness to, to speak with the truckers saying, you know, the he doesn't deal with people like that. Meanwhile, you know, just south of the border, you have the United States dealing with the Taliban and, mm -hmm. and you have Trudeau historically warm and fuzzy with Vladimir Putin, who he now condemns to no end. And, you know, so that was just, you know, and people would nod their heads and say, yeah, we don't deal with people like that. It's like, no, that is your fucking job exactly. to civilly through discourse yeah. solve situations, not with horses and rubber bullets and whatever else, right? That is, 
that is a heavy, that heavy hand. That is not how we do things in Canada. Uh, you know, and that is not how we do things in, in the world in which I think most of us want to live. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to have those conversations. And he and other leaders, Jugmeet Singh, disaster. Mm -hmm. Very disappointing, um, yeah. And to the Conservative Party who very late in the game jumped on the bandwagon only to somewhat teeter-totter and, and follow this populist politics mm -hmm. you know, mandate, nobody really went down there and, and acted in, in the way that I would expect mm -hmm. politicians and governments to act, which is let's hear what people have to say and then let's talk about it and let's find the merits in what they have to say and let's find what we don't agree with. And mm -hmm. we may not like where we end up, depending on you know, your view of it, but now a whole generation has seen that, has seen that it's okay to not have a discourse on something. And that's the part that worries me the most. Yes. It's scary. It's very, very scary. And even seeing that had these massive issues with the flags that were being, you know, waved, et cetera. And in my head, I'm thinking, put yourself, put yourself into, into whatever's happening. If you have such a strong opinion about these flags or this or that, go there educate people, talk to people. You think something's going to change when you're just spewing hate on social media. Nothing's going to change. Take yourself physically there and speak to people, engage with people, see what it's really about. If they have a flag that you know is historically, you know, not okay to be waving right now, talk to them, educate them, because I can guarantee you a lot of the people may not even know about this. You know what I mean? So that was my biggest problem. And I think the ultimate culprit in everything has been social media. I've been speaking a lot about social media and yes, it's, it's great in some ways. It's very detrimental in others, but social media played a massive role in these last couple of years with the pandemic, with the convoy, with politics. And I think in a lot of ways it was very intentional, but it was, People go on there and they get their entire political knowledge of biased posts and stories that are put there to engage you in a certain way and to get you to think a certain way. And that's where you're getting your political information. So my problem is these people that would go on there, get this little tidbit of knowledge or something that was trending, and now that is their stance and they will live and die by that stance while entirely not knowing anything about... I don't know, government policy or basic things that you, in my opinion, need to be educated in to make massive, bold statements or to condemn other people. You know, you, if you don't know, if you don't know why you're saying the things you're saying or why you believe what you believe from like a fundamental standard, I don't know if you should be speaking out against it, to be honest. And it created this, like I said, this kind of tornado of hate and and people fighting constantly, constantly over topics that they really didn't know that much about. And another prime example has been the war um, in Ukraine. It, it's been amazing to me to see how many people have opinions on it when they really don't have any historical background of what has happened in Eastern Europe for the last hundred years. Or even the fact that there's been a war raging in Yemen where the you know, US government has killed hundreds of thousands of civilians Everything's in the spotlight. So where do I want to go from here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> can of worms. Yeah, well, cause I, I had it's, well, it's the most important 
can of worms in one sense. And in the other sense, where I want to go from here is also an important can of worms. Right. Because I want, or as I understand it, you've, you've changed your relationship with social media of late, yes. maybe as a byproduct, these, these things. And I'd like to know wh- what that is and, and how it, how it is. What are you doing differently today? How are you, how are you engaging and posting differently? Right. You know, but do you want to go to, I mean, your, your, your history is Eastern Europe. You know, this is, this is something that hits very, very close to home. Is there, is there anything that you wanted to say on it or no, we can just move forward. You know, it's, people have very, very strong opinions on what's happening out there. Um, my biggest issue is this condemnation of the Russian people as a whole. Yeah. Um, we have Russian friends, we have Ukrainian friends, and it's just sick to see what's happening and how certain people are conducting themselves towards the Russian people. It's, it's the leader we need to be focusing on mm-hmm. that is creating all of this. And I yeah. think that's kind of, sorry, go ahead. No, just, yeah, I just agree. Yeah. So it's I somebody's just, I actions. I just don't understand. It's it's almost like this massive, horrible extension of cancel culture where it's like now not only canceling businesses and things you don't like, but now it's canceling a country. Like to me, I just, I cannot. And I speak to my family often in Poland and to them, I really, really I spoke to my cousin and I really love her kind of way of coming at it. She said, it's really scary. There's bombs being dropped a hundred kilometers from our Polish border. And it's, we have refugees coming in that we're helping my, her mom is taking the little kids that are there to shop for clothes. Cause they come only with what's on their backs and it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. But she also said like, we can't live in fear. That's it's not going to do anything. If you know, we're going to die tomorrow, we need to live for today and we need to do everything in our power to help these people and to give them any kind of sense of normalcy that we can since we're in the position we're in right now. And that's all you can really do. They're not focusing on arguing with each other about politics or, you know, condemning people because of the fact they were born into a certain country that that is not on their radar. They're focusing on helping whoever they can, however they can, period. And it's hilarious to me that over here, this Western kind of stance where we're just fighting amongst each other about who's right, who's, you know, what's... it honestly, that's actually one of the reasons I had to step back from social media, because I would see these comments and these arguments and these fights. And I just, I knew there would be no sense in, you know, responding because I would be there all day, but my brain actually couldn't process the level of, I mean, this is a strong word, but like idiocy, because it just didn't make sense. It wasn't tied. It had nothing to do with the issues at hand. People just were kind of blinded it seemed by again whatever's trending in the moment or these images that are being posted everywhere on social media that you don't know the context you don't know where this is from you don't know if it's fake or real or whatever and you see it and it ingrains this emotional response and then you have to stand up for something but you don't actually know what you're standing up for i yeah on that point i think that have you ever heard of a straw man versus steel man argument I, ha- I feel like you've actually mentioned the straw man. I, I might have before. I, it's, my, it's my word of the last year, <laughs> which I got from Brett Weinstein yes. and um, Heather Weinstein, who are just fantastic voices of 
of reason. Yeah. Maybe they go too far sometimes, but um, and, and and others. But this is this is essentially the essence of it. A straw man argument is when you're making a point, and somebody counters that point with something else. So, for instance, to to hit the one closest to home, you are not vaccinated. You must not love people. Obviously, they are not <laughs> they are not the same. But you are using something far more dramatic that has nothing to do with what. You know, if somebody isn't vaccinated, that does not mean that they don't love people. It means that they have a different view on on whether or not they need this vaccination or, you know, what their doctor said or whether they can have it or whether or not, you know, whatever the reason is. A steel man argument is where you have to you have to have is you you still don't necessarily agree with the other side, but you have such a strong understanding of their argument that you can actually argue for it. You can articulate and argue for the other side. And I think this is where, when you use the word idiocy, I think it's a fair statement that we all fall victim to is, do we really understand the other argument so well that we can articulate it? Because I think that should be the grounds to which we are allowed to engage on social media with any given topic. That's not like, oh, that's a cute baby photo. (laughs) Or that's a great Alex Sharp photo. What an awesome photo, right? But to have a debate, it's like, okay, first you're, you're to tap into the, into the ring. Tell me you understand both sides and it's su- in such an extent that you can actually see the merits of the other argument, even if you don't agree with them. Or you're actually listening yeah. because this is the other issue I ran into, into in certain conversations. I would, I would point out certain things and on the other side, it would be completely glossed over and it would, they would respond to the parts that they could, they could come back to, but not the main point. It was almost like things were being sugarcoated and glossed over and things were being answered that really didn't have to do with the main point of the thing. It was these little technicalities that, yeah, again, didn't have anything to do with the heart of the issue. And I think that's my biggest problem. Like the heart of the issue is being missed so often in these things, in these conversations. It's just these other little trivial things that that don't really matter. And you can't, you can't have a, an effective conversation without having knowledge or actually knowing that the conversation is about this specific thing and acknowledging it. But the acknowledgement piece seems to be missing a lot <laughs> these days, which is which is tough. So. so what does it look like for you now? How are you, how, what, what is social media? How do you engage? How do you post now? What's changed? Yeah, so it's been a common thread that I've been talking about quite a bit on my page, taking the pressure off, kind of in the same thread of not, not following the expectations that everybody else has of you, that social media has of you, that, you know, other business owners have of you that are in the same industry to really take the pressure off and commit as much as you have capacity for into any given area, but specifically now social media. Um, so for me, I've taken a full step back. I haven't posted in over the over a month, which really hasn't ever happened. 
And have, it's, you been, have you been on in that month? I've been on. Yeah, okay. I've been on. I will post stories from time to time. I kind of have stepped back from like the doom scrolling um, <laughs> because it's just, it's not, it's not helpful. And I find that it's a waste of time for me. And then all I see is the arguments. It's kind of like what Facebook had turned into. You see someone posting a controversial, controversial topic and then you see just these arguments and it kind of weighs heavy on you and you it angers you a little bit and it frustrates you and there's not really anything you can do, but it's still in your head. You know, it's, you go forward into your day, having this kind of weight at the back of your head and some people can handle it and it doesn't affect their day. And again, even with social media, I've said for some people, it brings them joy. They love the routine of it. They can, they can create boundaries um, for themselves that look very different than the ones that I think are good for me. And that's for every human. For me, social media, I'm very aware of its effects on me. And so I really had to put up boundaries in how much I engaged and what I engaged with when I actually was on it. Um, so yeah, I've just, I've fully taken a step back and I've decided that I'm only going to post when I feel inspired to post, um, not to post just to post because I feel like I should in order to get engagement or not to lose followers or whatever. To me, it's just, it's not a numbers game. It never has been. I'd rather have quality followers that actually are here for the right reasons and appreciate me as an artist and appreciate the things I have to say when I say them. I, it's not about the people that are there just for like constant content all the time. Uh, that's not how I operate. I, I don't like doing that with social media and having this constant pressure of I have to post every day. I have to put out content every day. I'm not an influencer, you know, I'm an artist and it looks very different. I like to go at my own pace. So I, yeah, I just, I just want to post when I want to post. And sometimes that could be once a month. Sometimes it can be once a day. Mm -hmm. It depends on if I have something to say that I want to share. But for me, I'm very much a face-to-face -face kind of person. I, I really connect with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I feel like those conversations are the ones that actually make a change. On social media, sure, I can say things and engage with people, but there's just not enough time in a day for me. Like I have three kids at home. I, I very much value self-care. I very much value my business in the way that I want to run it. But if I don't have time for social media, that's kind of like the last on my priority list, to be honest. Um, and I also really struggle with messaging back oftentimes when I have an immense amount of messages. It's just, it's too much. It gets a bit overwhelming, but so yeah, face-to-face -face connection is where I'm heavily focusing on self-care, mental health, seeing someone in person also, mm -hmm. like I very much feed off that energy. I love the community of, I don't know, being close to someone, looking them in the eye and having these big conversations where they can actually make change. And just kind of playing it by ear, to be honest, it can change. It can change a week from now. This is just what I'm feeling is right for myself right now. And I know personally, like I just put out a poll asking how many people struggle with social media um, and finding a good groove. And 90% of people said they really struggle finding a balance and they feel the need to post, even though they don't want to. Right. And that for me is so problematic because again, wrestling with the sense of mortality, like our days here are limited and you're focusing and pouring your time and energy into something you don't actually want to be doing. And it's an addiction too. That's the addiction. Yeah. Like that's where I, we know it because we all watch the social dilemma, but we don't, yes. but we don't 
necessarily treat it like we might if we were an alcoholic, where we're like, shit, I really got to do something about this, right? So for myself, I needed to wean myself off fully. It's like almost like cold turkey, you know? I I couldn't, you know, some people can make time limits for themselves, but for me, I'm like, you know what? I almost need to go off it for like a solid, what is it? The 21 days will form a habit. (laughs) It was, it was kind of like that. And I went 21 days and now it's almost like my new normal and it feels fantastic. And again, it doesn't work for everybody. Some people love doing it. Some people aren't in a position where they can't stop marketing for their business. Um, I'm fortunate enough that like I can, and I, my business has totally reshaped itself this year and it's, it very much aligns with where I'm at business-wise as well. So it, it wasn't a difficult choice for me, but for others it may be, but. Yeah, that's a, that's reality. Um, yeah, and you're, and you're spending, well, I mean, you've always been a, a nature dweller, a nature seeker, <laughs> but you're, you're sneaking off more, right? Like you're really, you, you almost have a, a routine of disappearing yeah. with your kids into the, into the woods. Absolutely. And we live in a, you're not far from us. We live in a place where that is yeah. ample and amazing, but you know, what is that? A, is that something you've just recently started? And like, what is, what is this, this escape that you, you do? Honestly, it's, it's always been like that. I remember when my kids were babies, I would have friends saying like, how do you get out every day? Like I can barely get out of the house. And <laughs> I made it a priority to take my kids I would strap them on I would take them by myself down into the bush like just to get out because for me it actually made my days immensely easier Mm -hmm. um they were happier I was happier and that kind of continued on I find a lot of solace in nature it is it's healing for me it when I'm feeling elevated or triggered it brings me right down and I do feel like that's where I connect with God the most and I honestly feel like my kids it's it's the same for them. Even if they don't realize it, I, I see the shift in their demeanor They're They become much more calm. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love, we love the safety of home, the comfort of home. We love our home, but I mean, my personality, I, I crave change of scenery. I, I crave newness and adventure and I, yeah, I just, I kind of need it to function. So I've incorporated it into my day to day. Every day, almost. Every day I go out for sure when the kids are at school. I mean, we have the dog now, so I take him out every single day for a hike. So it's, it, you. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's great it, if I incorporated it into my routine and it's what works for me. And again, not enough time in a day. It, it takes time to do all these things during the day, but the kids are in full-time school now. So it makes things a little bit easier. And on weekends, we always, one day of the weekend, we make a point of, going on Google maps or like earth view, finding a secluded beach somewhere and trying to make our way to it. <laughs> on like, on like the Chilliwack river. Everywhere. Last weekend we went, we found a new place. We found, um, we went to Bristol slough, which is near hope. Never, oh, yeah. even, never knew it existed, but we looked on the earth view and we found like, um, a fun little like river beachy area and we saw a road that went by, by right by so we said let's let's check it out and see if we can find a new spot and uh That's yeah cool. as summer as summer rolls around we do that more and more like a little bit deeper down the fsrs and yeah just trying to find new spots that are secluded that we can go to and just like really engage that aren't overpopulated <sighs> do, you find, do you find the need to even if you're not posting uh take pictures do you try and capture it 
or I, as I do. I mean, that's something that <laughs> I have never stopped. When I go somewhere beautiful, I do feel the need to capture mm-hmm. the moment and to to share it too. And I do make sure that I do it a little bit. And then I put my phone away though, because mm-hmm. honestly, yeah, that's the phone thing. It just puts me on edge when it's around me all the time. And that's the problem now is I've been intentional about putting my phone away so much more that I'm even more terrible at responding to text <laughs> and all the things it takes me 24 to 48 hours. And I know, I feel like people these days have this expectation that you're going to answer right away. And if you don't, it's like, are you okay? Like what's going on? Um, but it's just become a part of my new routine and the people that are close to me, like I've explained it to them. They, they know, they still love me. <laughs> they still I think love you have me. to do that. I think you do have to explain it to them. And I think that's, that it's a healthy way to go about it. My yeah. phone, my phone shuts off at seven. I, I, I wake up with tons of messages every yeah. day. <laughs> but it's nice yeah. to shut it off. Right. Yeah. And you kind of have to do it. And it's funny because that, that was kind of what, the time was like before cell phones, you would have a landline and someone would leave you a message or they would send you like snail mail and there would be time. But now everything is instant gratification all the time. And I'm really trying to teach my kids that too. Like not everything's instant. Like you need to be patient and you need to take time away and you don't have to respond to everything right away. You can take time to articulate and process and just take it in because these days everything's so fast paced and there's no time for anything. And we need to relearn how to get back into that old way. I feel, I mean, some people don't feel that way, but for me, it's immensely important. (laughs) Some people don't feel that way. It is also immensely important for me. And, and it is, I'm trying to find out how to weave it into my own creative process for what I do. And and I'm curious about yours and I'll, I'll just say a few things ahead of that. Like I'll tell, I'll paint a picture, uh, with my words, because if you saw me actually paint a picture, well, you can, there's one painted picture I painted here. So you can see that and you can see why I don't make my money doing it. Um, the, so when you came and did a photo shoot for us, we had this decrepit barn at our house. It's just so shitty. And every day I walked there and maybe I chopped some wood or collect the chicken eggs. And you, you had just followed us around with the camera a little bit. Sometimes you told us to do stuff. Other times you didn't. And you just turned this everyday moment in our lives. That's genuine. We would, you know, we may not have been wearing the clothes we were wearing for the photo shoot, but we genuinely would walk towards that barn every day, you know, as a family, as individuals, et cetera. And you turned it into this just really stunning art. And obviously the rest of that photo shoot was fantastic. And I'm just curious how one, you, you do like your process and both leading up to, and when you're behind the camera to shoot, to create this art and to the intentionality behind the darkness, because, you know, lots of people love the golden hour, right? Sunsets and brightness and that, that comes from that and love, love people. A lot of people love color palette, but you have this stunningly beautiful, what I would say is an interpretation on black and white. It, it, it doesn't feel totally like it, black and white. It feels like your thing. So how are you, creating these these moments capturing these moments from your standpoint as the photographer right 
Well, first off, I don't put time limits on anything, which is also another way that I'm very different than other photographers because they're like, what? Like you don't cut it off at a certain time. I mean, I say sessions are like about an hour and a half, whatever, but sometimes I'll be shooting for three hours and that's okay. You kind of have to go with the flow. And so for me, I don't put a time limit on anything. I don't put expectations on anything. I don't prepare too much beforehand and expect a certain a certain result because expect putting expectations on myself, whether it's time, whether it's end result, it never bodes well for me. I kind of have to fly naturally and see how it flows. <clears throat> so with that, I also try to tell a story. I try to get you to do things that you would normally do because I love movement. I don't like stationary shots. A lot of the time when people are moving and engaging in something that is kind of their normal, they feel most comfortable instead of just these posed, you know, shots that I put them in position for and they feel awkward. They don't know what to do with their hands. They don't, you know. So when you're moving and doing things that you would normally do, it's the most natural. And I feel like people to me are the most beautiful when they're in their, in their normal. They're just doing what they do every day. Um, and that's what I want to capture because when you look back at a photo 20 years from now, you want to remember it as a time that you were, you know, exploring your property with your family. And rather than, oh, remember that time we took those photos and the photographer was, you know, stationing us here and here and here. And it wasn't natural. We felt awkward. It didn't feel like something we would do. It's not what you want to look back on and have that kind of emotion attached to it. So I also, I love texture. That's why I like with the barn, I love the wood in the background. I love, I just loved it. There's just, there was just something very organic about it. And the darkness, I've always been incredibly drawn to historical photographs that are shot in film. And oftentimes they are, they're a bit more grainy. Uh, there's a huge play on light and shadow um, because with those old manual cameras, you had to be so intentional and you had to have so much technical knowledge about your light that there was often plays on that. And I'm very attracted to that. And I think kind of the base of my work, the thing that attracts me to photography is that emotional connection, but also light and shadow, like a play on it. So I play with my settings often. I play with my edits often. I will shoot in direct sunlight in the sharpest light possible for a different kind of effect and challenge myself. And how can I take this light and harness it and shift it and mold it into what I want? That's the ultimate challenge for me while still capturing that, that raw kind of natural flow. And I can't even explain how it happens. I just get very drawn to like spots and I get very drawn to like storylines and it just kind of comes out <laughs> to be honest. You, you do it so well. You, any person that I've seen, you know, on your Instagram feed, you have, you have captured what I must imagine is the essence of their beauty that, and, and that they would feel like, wow, like that really did show me in, in the light that I wanted to be shown. And that's not about perfection. It's about, like you said, this raw, this raw beauty. And, and I'm curious, sort of in, in that vein, the, the, the importance of a self-portrait for an, a photographer such as yourself. You took one recently uh, where you were naked in the bathroom, but you have ones with Josh, you have ones with light, 
there's this one just gorgeous photo where this might be the direct sunlight one where there's like just tons of, of um, sunlight, I think coming like off every side of I believe that was you. Maybe it wasn't you. I think it was you in the photo. And I guess like, what is it, what, what changes in the experience when a photographer is photographing themselves? Yeah. Uh, Self-portraits, I have to say, are are not something I'm strong at. I don't like being in front of the camera. Those were good photos, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I just like, yeah, it's hard to explain. I don't feel very comfortable in front of a camera. I feel very comfortable behind a camera, mm-hmm. capturing someone else's beauty. But I, I don't know if it's because there's like too much going on, but I feel like it's it's always a challenge for me to capture myself in movement as I'm also shooting. There's, there's very few times where I feel inspired to take self-portraits, but I find that the times that I feel very much inspired, those are the best ones and they turn out great. So with self-portraits, I've kind of taken the same stance as I do with social media, actually, is taking them when I feel inspired to do so rather than taking them because I feel like I need to take them. And that's when they, they turn out the most authentic and the most organic and the most me, because I think the the point of a self-portrait is to capture the essence of myself. And when I don't feel like myself or I feel like I'm not comfortable, it's not going to achieve what I want it to achieve. So when I feel heavily inspired, I definitely try to jump on that opportunity and not overcomplicate it, not overthink it, not try this insane concept that I know I'm not going to be able to pull off and then feel disappointed that I didn't, but just very simple. And um, basically just capturing the moments in time of myself and That's why I really try to get photos taken of myself by someone, another photographer that I know kind of views photography and capturing beauty in the same way, which is hard for me to find someone that really aligns. I have a few photographer friends that are just incredible and their eye is just, oh my goodness, like I'm in awe of their work. And so I do try to be intentional about, you know, hiring people to do that for myself and my kids and my kids actually hate being in front of the camera. Makes it hard. The, is that, is it part of the exercise to th- that you bring with your empowerment sessions for women, mm. predominantly women, I, mm. I imagine men would benefit from it just the same, if not more so totally. um, and more so in the sense that it, you know, you do see, these raw, sexy, naked, um, moody photo shoots with women. But how often do you see those with men? You know, it's like right. super rare. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it a, is it a, is it a touch in first part of the question? Is it a touch in to, to make sure that you, who you know you do feel uncomfortable are, are kind of going through and understanding the same things that you do on when you're behind the camera and tell me about these sessions. Like what happens? Like what, if this is where you want to take your work in general, mm-hmm. what is happening when you photograph a woman in, in just her raw, beautiful mm-hmm. essence, maybe sexual, maybe not, like depending on what they want, what opens for them, what changes? 
Yeah, it's actually really interesting because I feel like the majority of women I photograph are in their 30s. They've kind of hit that deconstruction period of their life, which I feel like a lot of women hit when they just before they turn 30 or as they enter their 30s, where they kind of reevaluate everything about their life, um, where they're headed. They kind of reevaluate priorities and step back into really discovering who they are at their core. Um, and I find most of my clients are in that stage where they're really searching, they're really learning about themselves and they, and it's a very profound period of life and they want to capture it because they're proud of themselves and they're proud of their involvement and this metamorphosis that they're, that they're stepping through, which is really beautiful because it makes it that they are ready for these photos they are ready and they still might not be fully confident or super secure in doing it. It still might be totally out of their comfort zone, but on like a spiritual level, they're ready. And that's kind of where I come in. It's almost like, I would say I'm almost like a facilitator in helping take these baby steps towards the rest of this kind of deconstruction and coming out of it. So I often try to incorporate nature because for me, that's where I get a lot of energy from and a lot of inspiration from and bringing their, their kind of spiritual journey into it and where they're at. And my sessions are very much a collaboration. It's, it's not just me taking the photos. It's, it's this relational dance almost back and forth between myself and my client uh, where we kind of feed off each other and both bring something really intense to the table that kind of wraps together as one and creates the images that it creates. That's why I can't really prepare for them beforehand. I can't, I can't have this like mood board all the time where I'm like, this is what we're going to achieve because oftentimes what we achieve is nothing like I expected. Mm -hmm. And that's the most beautiful part of it. And oftentimes there's tears, there's, there's, uh. there's laughter, there's this connection of us together and connection with the earth or with themselves internally. And it's almost like, um, like an unsaid therapy session in a way. It, it's, it's really beautiful and really profound. And I step away from those sessions feeling like I also leave with a bit of something pretty incredible. And there's, there's an energy change exchange, excuse me, right. Where you're, where you're, you're almost co-creating in, yeah. in energetically. And it's so, it is, I can say that having been on the other side of your camera with my wife, there's what I love so much about what you're doing is in part, obviously you're creating beautiful art, but I find so often that men and women, both, as, as we age and our bodies change, we become even more insecure. And in our mirror, other than the one in front of us, you know, that that is all these images of perfection on Instagram and magazines and movies, et cetera, airbrushed, photoshopped, people who have had tons of surgeries, et cetera. And I'm not judging surgery. I'm just saying that's the, that's what we see. And so then when we see ourselves in relation to that, we no longer find ourselves beautiful. Yeah. And what's, what I think you do is that you take a, take someone and you say, let me show you how I see you. Yeah. Right. That, that beauty and how I see you. And then all of a sudden they can see themselves that way even if it's just for a moment. And that's why I, I think that it's not a vanity exercise. 
to post it, to, 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 to do it. I think it is an, is an exercise in re if, if we hadn't already re reconnecting with just how beautiful we are for who we are and how we are and how we are in the world around us. Like you said, with nature. And so I can see why there'd be tears. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful. And I think about the way I actually view these women and I find them so incredibly beautiful and just people in general. I always admire beauty in people. And it's not like in the obvious ways that you think, like for me, like laugh lines are incredible. Freckles are incredible. The way, like the curve of a woman's like hip is incredible. And so I do, I do want to capture that on camera and show them. And I think, I think even after a session, for some women, after they see the, the photos, they still don't initially see mm. those photos and think beauty. So it's almost like this, it's, it's like a small step in the continual journey where we keep having to do it. It's not an easy fix like that. Oh, I'm going to get photos taken of myself. I'm going to fall in love with myself and that's it. It's not like that because even for myself, like I've gotten to this place where I just, I truly love and appreciate my body. But of course I still have some days where I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like it, those little bits of insecurity creep in and you're like, oh, but wait a second. Let me remind myself mm -hmm. of everything this body does for me and the journey that we've come on together. So it's not just this one and done photo shoot. It's a baby step and instilling a few kind of <sighs> game changing mental strategies on how you can view yourself as a woman and as a person. And that's why I actually don't use any Photoshop um, in my images, <laughs> which some people will come to me and ask for things Photoshopped. And I, I tell them straight up, I, I'm, not, I'm not the photographer for you because I want you to fall in love with your cellulite. And I want you to fall in love with your scars. And I want you to fall in love with your soft tummy that you have after having kids. Like, I want you to look at that and actually, actually love it and look at it in like this endearing way that, that a lot of women don't look at their bodies, unfortunately. And again, like I said, it is a journey. And so that's kind of the goal in my sessions to continue the baby steps going um, after the session. It's not just now in this moment, yeah. but I want you to keep pouring that into your life, um, into the way you view yourself and yeah. That's why yeah. I don't want to Photoshop out all these things that are natural and that are a part of aging. I know. I know we have to, you know, I've, I struggled with going gray yeah. at 32. Right. Um, and uh, I was like, no, I'm not dying. It. It's a hard choice. It's still a hard choice. You totally. know? It's, it's not, you know, my wife can tell me all the, all the, all the live long day that she likes it or whatever, but it, it, we still are the ones who, <laughs> we feel and see and 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 that's why what you're talking about is integration and and the photo shoot being a, a step and then how do we integrate that whether it's maybe kundalini dance um which i know jana has found just incredible mm -hmm. connection to her body through and ceremony with women and and these just these different or men and women but these just these different things that we can do that that just build us back into our being and reground us in ourselves. Uh, it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. But again, this is kind of what I want to be here for, to be a facilitator, to provide strategies for how we can get to that as a collective whole 
you know, in society that we can keep pushing for that. Mm-hmm. One thing that you do differently in society <laughs> One of uh, <laughs> that I, <laughs> that I can speak to is that when we did our shoot with you, you accepted partial payment in trade. <laughs> and I was, and I thought that was really cool because here I'm thinking Vogue Vanity Fair photographer and Yet it was like, I was, I didn't have the conversation you had it with Jenna, but she's like, no, she actually like wants some of our eggs and our wild game. And I don't know what else came with it. Um, a chicken, I think. <laughs> Good thing you're a carnivore. <laughs> but um, We wouldn't have had anything to trade, but where, like, where did that come from? I mean, that's cool. It's, it's because it's honestly not about money for me. Mm. Like that's, that's what I can kind of lay it out as. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I sound so privileged when I say that it's not about money. It's it, of course you need to earn a living. You need to make money to some extent, but for me, it's the passion of creating and of connection. That's so much more valuable and so much more important. And I think trade is something that is slowly getting lost as well. Like I very, like back in the day, that's kind of how you did things. And I think I have so many incredibly talented people around me that have amazing skill sets that I don't have myself. Like, why wouldn't I trade? I I trade right now. I have ongoing um, content kind of contracts that I have with certain companies. I trade for my skincare. I trade for all my tattoos. I trade for coffee. I trade for my hair. I trade for meat. Like those are all things that I would be paying for and that I, I, I love and I would, I would need to get myself. So why wouldn't I trade one service for another? Did, it, you, did you bring it up with these people? Are you like, let's, let's, let's do this. Yeah, or did it just happen? Absolutely. If it's something that I feel like I, I want then I always offer up trades. And also there's other times where, you know, people aren't necessarily able to pay my full price and that's okay because you know what, it is an investment and I find value in other things that people can offer. So it's always on the table. It's always on the table. And when people ask me, like, I appreciate, and there's, there's times where it's not necessarily something I would want. So I'm transparent about that, but but oftentimes it is. So it, it's a great relationship to have. Um, and I think, I think it just, it works beautifully for me. So why wouldn't I? I, I agree. It's cool. I, I think that it's, uh, you know, when we look at things like cryptocurrency and we look at, why wouldn't we look at trade currency? Why wouldn't we go back to that and say, Hey, you know, you can't regulate this. <laughs> you can't regulate this one but you can't. and it was always very important to me I never wanted to become one of those pretentious photographers that was like this and I'm not flexible and I can't you know talk to people about things and uh, I don't know just uh, the kind of the the theme of my life also is to hold things loosely to kind of go with the flow and I don't know be open to just about everything. Like, you know, if it works, it works. Like, I don't know. It's an inspiration to, to me, to an inspiration to Jan and I, how you live, who you are. I say that very sincerely uh, because it's not something that comes naturally to me holding onto things loosely. Jana, maybe a little <laughs> more so. Um, but after the last two years, and, and just periods of not feeling even remotely at peace. And even really before that, just in the constant, constant, constant pursuit of anything. I want that. <laughs> I want what you have. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Joel, because that did not used to be me. 
for most mm. of my life. I did not grow up in a household where peace or happiness was valued. I, I was very, like I said, abrasive for many years of my life, very insecure to the point where I overcompensated by being um, overly obnoxiously confident when that wasn't actually the case. And I held on to everything very tightly because I had lost many things in my life. And I also come from an Eastern European family where kind of scarcity mindset is at the forefront. <laughs> so this has only really been post my own personal deconstruction, which was a painful, beautiful, oh gosh, again, I'm going to use the word metamorphosis because there's nothing else I can really tie it back to. I broke down everything in my life, my relationships, my spirituality, like everything to nothing. And it was the lowest of raw lows I could have been. And then I built everything back up in the way I wanted to live in my adult life, in my very core, without any external pressures telling me how I should reassemble everything back together. And ever since then, I just, the holding things loosely became at the forefront because for so many years, I had high expectations of everyone around me. And I just kept being disappointed, disappointed over and over and over again. And I realized like something's obviously not working mm -hmm. something like, and the consistent thing is me in these scenarios. So I need to really shift the way I think. And I think ultimately the thing I really want for myself and for myself within my family unit is just to live like a peaceful life. I just want to be at peace. Mm -hmm. And I know there's going to be times where I'm not because, you know, such is life, but that's what I want to strive for. I want to live in gratitude for the little things that I get to experience every single day. And I just want to be at peace. And I feel, I felt like I couldn't get to that point of being at peace when I had all these expectations. And I always felt this, like, like mm, I was always on edge because I felt like somebody was going to fail me or I was going to be disappointed. And you just can't live like that. I'm, I'm lucky that I am at this point in my life where I have, I have minimal relationships of people that I fully trust and value. And I have cut out a ton of relationships that I realized were incredibly toxic for me. And I feel so at peace with the people I have in my life. And as I'm meeting people and connecting with people, it's, it feels right and it feels good and it feels peaceful. And I, as that comes, as you chase peace, you also learn how to navigate the times when you're not at peace in a more effective way. So yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> you are, you're a gift. You're a gift to us all. And I, you know, I've taken, I've been so grateful for how much time you've given. And I want to be, you know, we both have to go get children momentarily yeah. here. And, and so I thought, you know, maybe that was just a, a wonderful moment to, to say our goodbyes. And I, I wanted to give the audience a chance to, you know, where do you want them to find you if at all? <laughs> uh, and, um, and just, if there's anything else, you, you know, you, the parting word you might want to share, which. Yeah. Um, well, I have an Instagram page. It's at alexandra.sharp. So A-L-E-K-S-A-N-D-R-A. -E it's a weird one. Dot sharp with an E. That's where you can find all of my work as I post. Forewarning, I'm terrible at responding to DMs. I try my best. But if you want to see my work, it's on there. And um, yeah, a parting word. Just keep chasing. Just keep chasing the things that bring you joy and authentically be yourself. Um, 
because honestly, you will get the most of life out of life if you if you chase yourself, pursue yourself, romance yourself. It's just, it makes it that you can become a better person for others in your life as well as a whole. So yeah, parting words. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the ramble. I really appreciate oh, it. I really enjoyed our time. And, and uh, next will be coffee on the patio, uh, looking over Mount Cham in the sunshine and, with and all the dogs running around the front yard. <laughs> Cannot wait. Thanks so much, Joel. Of course. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others, you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.